0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to yet another episode of Views on View. I am Steve Edwards, the host with the face for radio and the voice for a mime, but I'm still your host. Today, we get to talk about debugging in view, one of my favorite topics if, that you know if you've listened to this before. And my very special guest is Cecilia Martinez. How are you doing, Cecilia?
1: Hello. Happy to be here.
2: Hey, folks. This is Charles Maxwell. I've been talking to a whole bunch of people that want to update their resume and find a better job. And I figure, well, why not just share my resume? So you, if you go to topenddevscom slash resume, enter your name and email address, then you'll get a copy of the resume that I use, that I've used through freelancing, through my, most of my career, as I've kind of refined it and tweaked it to get me the jobs that I want. Uh, like I said, topenddevscom slash resume will get you that. And uh, you can just kind of use the formatting. It comes in Word and Pages formats, and you can just fill it in from there. Right. So Cecilia came to our attention
0: of our hardcore recruiting crew when we saw a presentation that she had done on debugging in Vue. I think it was at uh, VueConf, if I remember correctly. We have the link. You can see it on YouTube or Vue Mastery. And so I said, let's get somebody to talk all about debugging. So before we go down that road, Cecilia, why don't you give us a little intro? Tell us who you are, why you're famous other than this, maybe. Uh, your developer story, et cetera, et cetera.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I'm Cecilia Martinez. I'm currently a developer advocate at Ionic. It is a framework essentially for building hybrid mobile applications. But I have previously worked at different open source developer tools. That tends to be my passion. I've been at companies like Cypress, uh, which is for software testing, and Replay, which is a debugging tool. I like to also kind of do various volunteer work in the community. I am volunteer with Women Who Code Front End, and I'm also the chapter head for the Atlanta chapter of Out in Tech, which supports the LGBTQI plus community in tech. And yeah, you can find me doing various conference talks or webinars or uh, writing blog posts. I love teaching um, and I love digging into making the developer experience better and more accessible to as many people as possible.
0: As a developer, we like your kind of people. They make my job easier, make our jobs easier for sure, for sure. So before we started recording, you were giving me some background on, on all of the, I think you said something like 10 talks on debugging in the past year or something like that. So, and that you mentioned, you don't just do view, you do other frameworks, other tools, other languages and so on. So tell me what you were telling me earlier about uh, just the talks and, and all the things that you deal with or help with debugging.
1: Yeah, so I essentially, I guess I started using a tool called Replay back in December of last year. It kind of first came on my radar, and it is a time travel debugger, which means that you can record your application execution and then play it back to debug it. Uh, It can be, it's records in the browser or in Node, so you can kind of use it for various types of JavaScript-based applications. And Once I kind of got started with that and going down that rabbit hole, I really went deep into debugging as a process and all the tools that are available for debugging and ended up doing 10 talks this year on different types of debugging, uh, debugging Angular, React, Vue definitely, but also just the process of debugging and why it has become so much more complex. One of the things that I talk about and from talking to other developers have realized is that nobody really teaches you how to debug. No one sits you down and says, All right, this is what happens when you find a problem. This is how you approach it. These are how you use all the tools. This is what a breakpoint is and why you'd want to do it. It really ends up just becoming a lot of trial and error. And it becomes a really frustrating process and people hate it. Like, that's one of the big things is like you spend half your time debugging, but nobody likes to do it and nobody really knows how to do it very well. And so I wanted to figure out why that was and how we could make it better. And so I talked to lots of developers and started digging into these different types of tools and found some common patterns and, you know, kind of turned that into the talks that I've been doing throughout the course of the year. So that's how I started getting involved with this topic of debugging.
0: Yeah, it's, you know, speaking from my perspective, debugging is probably ever since I first started writing writing PHP, I learned how to debug, how to figure out tools. And it was actually somebody that pointed me in the right direction. There was... Back in, what, early 2000s, before, I think before JetBrains, before PHP Storm, there was another well-known PHP IDE, and it starts with an M, and for the life of me, I cannot remember what it was called. But the guy, Matt, who was the founder of uh, a really well-known Drupal shop, Lollabot, said, hey, uh, check out xDebug in this IDE. And I was like, oh, so I started digging into the docs and got it figured out. And once I got it configured and could set my breakpoints and run my code and hit it, I was like, oh. This is a lifesaver, not only because, you know, setting a breakpoint and running through code is w- one of the debugging tools, obviously, but you can once see, watch it step through and see, oh man, I'm missing this loop or I'm jumping out of this loop because this isn't set or you can hit your breakpoint and then look and see, okay, my variable is this value at this point. No wonder this isn't working and stuff. So the step debugging is just immense, immense. It's uh, with PHP and it's a little easier on the back end than it is in the front of the browser tool. Debugging can be a little sketchy at times, but there's still a lot you can do with a step debugging, even in your standard dev tools, setting breakpoints and editing in them and viewing variables at certain times and, and stuff like that. To the point where, you know, I just hired two developers for our company at GovTribe. And one of the first things I do when we get them up and running is... Let's set up XDebug in PHP Storm, which is our IDE of choice. And this is how you can use the debug tools in the browser to help figure things out. And they use it. And that has helped me over the years. That has helped me so much to, to be able to debug things and to fix things. But I was at, few years ago, I was working at a really huge application. We had a, or excuse me, corporation. And we had a pretty large dev team, probably, well, rel- for me, you know, 10 to 20 people. And they saw how I could figure things out so easily with the debugger that they asked me to teach a class to all of the VLA developers because it was such a tool that really helped them to stop and see things, you know, instead of having to do in, you know, in Laravel, you can do a DD and dump it out. Okay, great. But what happened before that? How did you get to that point in the first place? So anyway, that's my little rant.
1: That's, that's amazing. So like like i just complained that nobody really teaches you how to debug but you're actually doing that you're going and you're yep. teaching people uh how to debug when they come on and that is that is a huge uh benefit to not only them but the entire team right because you end up having a better shared vocabulary for how you approach mm-hmm. problems and being able to um to go through that process and that was something that i did find when I, so I started t- by talking to developers that were using the replay debugging platform, and I would hop on a call with some of them and just be like, "Let me watch you debug. Like, how do you do it? Like, let me see, let me see what the magic happening." And um, oops,
0: wrong button there. Sorry, that wasn't a joke. <laughs> <laughs> I just hit the wrong button.
1: <laughs> yeah. So I, I sat down and I wanted to see like the magic happening. I was like, "Let me watch you debug." And I saw I started to see a couple of patterns. One was definitely understanding how to use the tools. Right, <clears throat> knowing how to step through, what that meant, understanding the flow of your application code. And I think that's something that gets lost a little bit with abstractions. So another thing that kind of came up is when you start to leverage frameworks, uh, especially for front-end development, it adds complexity to our applications because you're not only debugging the actual application code itself that's running in the browser, but the interactions between whatever tools or frameworks or packages that you may be using and uh, what actually ends up running. So that's something where we see the framework dev tools like Vue dev for example comes in handy because it shows you how your components are rendering and lets you inspect your component state and props at different you know um, as your application is executing. So that's something else that I definitely do. Yes. Um, that's my thing on dev tools by
0: the way. <laughs> yes. okay, yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> I was very impressed with Vue Dev Tools. I have taken a look at Angular Dev Tools, React Dev Tools. Vue Dev has that really amazing profiler, which shows all how all your comp- components are rendering. And Vue also has some built-in methods that let you log and trigger what log what's triggering renders as well, which isn't built Ooh. into some other frameworks and that is really helpful when you're trying to understand why something is or is not rendering, and then also debugging performance issues that can come with, uh, with too many renders. so Oof.
0: Before we go down there, I'll, I want to go back and talk about replay because that looks really interesting. So how does, how does that platform work? How do you integrate that into, into your, say, a view application?
1: Yeah. So Replay at its core is a runtime recorder. So it works in the browser. It also works for Node. Replay is, itself is a browser. It's a fork of uh, Gecko Dev or Firefox. It started at Mozilla uh, with the um, the founder and the kind of it came from Mozilla with the Firefox uh, Dev Tools team. And it's a browser. And you essentially just uh, hit record. You run through a flow of your application. You recreate the bug, so to speak. And from that, it creates a replayable recording of what just happened with DevTools built in. So it runs in a browser. The uh, DevTools platform is actually open source and you can see it there. It's uh, free for developers to use, but you record your bug and you can replay it over and over and over again without having to reproduce it every time. And you can inspect the application, the DOM, the elements um, the HTML and CSS, the framework components, and then also all the j- JavaScript that's running in the browser at different points in time. So you can pause, rewind, fast forward, and inspect values, components, variables, prop state. Um, and you can even add console logs retroactively, which is my favorite part. So if I thought, Dang. wow, I really wish I had a console log there, uh, you can actually just hit a little plus button in that line of code, add a con- add the variable that you'd like to output. And it'll show you the value every single time that that um, line of code executed during the recording.
0: So is it like a video replay where you're watching it on your screen navigate through everything?
1: Yeah. So there's a viewer mode that will show the DOM. So it's actually it's not a video. It's actually we're literally repainting the canvas. It's okay, like, right. But it's a um,
0: visual replay of your page, right?
1: Exactly. A visual replay of the page. And then... There's also a backend view or a DevTools view, which shows also the JavaScript ap- um, execution that's taking place. And it looks like browser Dev Tools. You have your React components that are there. You can inspect, and it has a timeline on the bottom to let you scrub through. Oh,
0: I am so trying this
1: out. <laughs> yeah, so I, 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 I first came across it and I was really thinking about whenever I would try to debug, I think engineers have this mindset that we want to understand how things work, right? And we want to dig into it. It's not just satisfied of like, okay, it's working. We want to understand why it's working. And for some reason, I think because I didn't necessarily know the best way to use debugging tools, that seemed to go out the window whenever I ran into a bug that I wasn't sure how to approach. And so (laughs) uh, I was kind of, you know, I started, I have this, this joke in my talk where I have the debugging dartboard and it has just like, all the random things that you try, you know, commenting outlines, adding a bunch of console logs in random places. And and so, and that's some kind of what the approach that I used to take, and that's why I found it so frustrating. Um, so when I was able to really good dig in and figure out how to use tools better and be more intentional about debugging is when I started to kind of see how it could be fun, like it's a puzzle and not just a frustrating one. So.
0: Yeah, I know for me, for debugging as a process, I, under- I totally get the dartboard. I haven't seen it, but... As you describe it, I can totally imagine that. What I've sort of figured out over the years is to start at the point where the failure is and work your way backwards or up the stream, as the case may be. With uh, one of my news guys, started like first week we were working on something and he was trying to figure it out and he's flailing all over the place and tried this and this. I said, "Okay, here's your data missing. Where should it come from here? Okay, this should be coming from here." And it turned out in this case, it was a missing prop being passed into a component into a child component from a parent component. But, you know, when you start getting flustered and, oh, man, this doesn't work, I'm going to go try a DD here, or I'm going to do a console log, or I'm going to pre out of, you know, whatever, start from the one point and work your way backwards, it generally tends to be the way to do it just from a, you know, high level overview type of approach. But yeah, yeah I can I, sympathize with the dartboard.
1: Yeah, definitely. And that's kind of what I started to find too, is uh, one of the things I would do during my talks is I would ask people in the audience, like, raise your hand and, What's the first thing you do when you encounter a bug? And some of them would start saying things like, you know, like add a console log and they start reaching for tools, like for solutions. But really, the first thing that you do is you try try to define what's wrong, right? Mm -hmm. Like what is actually wrong? What is the problem we're trying to solve? And in order to know what's wrong, you have to know what right looks like. And so... That's where uh, sometimes it can be difficult because sometimes we don't really know exactly what our applications are actually doing. We have an idea of what they're supposed to do, but when they break, it's uh, understanding what is really supposed to be happening here? What is the flow of that execution? What is the flow of the data? You know, Where are the props, like you mentioned in your in your example, going through? And it's a little bit of a challenge sometimes to be like, do I really understand what it's supposed to be doing in the first place? Before I dig in and try and figure out what's wrong. And so, yeah, defining the problem and then isolating it, he uh, like said, and tracing it back to the root cause is a process that I saw appear over and over and over again as I was watching people debug.
0: Well, you know, the old adage is that computers do what you tell them to do, not what you want them to do. So, yeah, yeah I think that's uh, definitely true.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And so, yeah, and you know, with the frameworks, like I said too, once you add abstractions on top of it, it, I love working with frameworks. I think it makes it really accessible to get started with uh, developing and you get to that magic moment a little faster where you're like, oh, I was able to, it, it's on the page, it's working, I'm clicking around. But again, when you get to the point where you have a lot of abstractions and then something breaks, if you don't know what's happening under the hood, that's where it can get more complex to have to debug. And, and that's true for yeah, no, anything
0: ahead. is knowing your tool. You know, I can think of, this is an example of, that goes way back to before I even got into computers when I worked at a bank. And I can remember hearing, and it wasn't so much true by the time I started working at a bank as an operations manager. But even before then, where where they would, if you, they hired a new teller, they would just have you start counting cash. Just tons of cash, tons of cash, right? You get used to, you know what it really like, And then they throw in a counterfeit. And because you know the original so well, you can spot the counterfeit. Right. Mm-hmm. So, in the case of Vue, which is what our podcast is about, you know, if you know Vue and how it's supposed to operate, and how your application is supposed to operate, then when something's not right, you can. It, it helps you better to to identify. Oh, it's right here. You know. Oh, it's just because at this point it's doing this, and that can be really frustrating if you you're new to an application and you're trying to figure out a bug, but you don't know how it's supposed to operate yet. So that's where. <laughs> You know, just the time and, and of working on something that gives you that familiarity. But but I think it's more important to, uh, you know, and this goes back to my days in tech support doing uh, communications between PCs and mainframe systems with screen scraping. Those were the days where, you know, if you know your tool, when a customer says, hey, this is wrong, you can say, oh, yeah. I bet you that's right here. You know, that type yeah. of thing.
1: So. so two things actually. Funny enough, um I also used to be a bank teller and I also used to work <laughs> in tech support. So maybe that's that's why I'm so I ended up in this in this space where I like trying to solve difficult things. But yeah, I think um one of the talks that I saw earlier this year, um, it was at Reactathon, but it was debugging Java async JavaScript by Jen Creighton. Her tag is girlcode G-U-R-L-C-O-D-E on Twitter but she has this like this thesis where it's like you don't know something until you know it right and i've found that i tend to learn so much more about whatever tool or my application or my code base uh, when something goes wrong so if i'm on the happy path and i'm just following the docs and everything is working it's like okay i'm just at that point i'm really just following instructions but when something goes wrong that's when I have to dig into the, okay, what is this? I'm gonna to go to the actual API command docs and figure out what all the different parameters are. Okay, now I have to do this. Now I have to read all these error messages. And that's where you really I have found that I learned a lot more, was having to debug it when something goes wrong versus just that happy path. And same thing with when I was at Cypress with test code, right? If you write your test code only for that happy path, it's probably gonna pass, you know, every single time. Uh, but then, when your actual users start to use the application and they're doing things that you don't expect, that's when it breaks, and that's when you start to learn. Oh, I guess my application will do that if it if if I input a special character in this form, or if <laughs> if I hit the back button ten times, or if uh, somebody tries to upload a file that we don't accept. And so, getting off that happy path and breaking things is where you tend to to really start to learn and start to know things. That will help you better understand your application going forward so that you know what to reach for the next time something happens.
0: Yeah, again, that's the same. I mean, that's the same in any aspect of life. When do you learn most? When everything went well or when it failed? Right. Because you learned how to respond, how to adjust, you know, how to uh, how to address the problem and maybe what not to do the next time, you know, you come to that.
1: And that's something I really try to emphasize. Like I do some uh, mentoring with people who are early career or um, getting or trying to get into developing and they feel like when they messed up or they did something wrong, that it means that they, that they're not good at it or that they, and I'm like, no, this is the great, this is the great part. This is the, everybody goes through this. You know, I talk to developers who've been at it for decades and they have those moments where they're just like, what am I doing? Why is this not working? And that's something I really try to emphasize is that this is all just part of the process And you know, learning and fail like failing and learning go hand in hand. So
0: cool. All right, so let's start to get into some of the nitty gritty of some of the methods and or tools that you use when you're debugging a Vue application.
1: Yes, absolutely. So one of the first ones you talked about, right, is is having that good process. But I am a really big fan of Vue Dev Tools because I remember when I think it's like really well done, but it's also something that gives you access into what's going on under the hood in your application. So if you've never used Vue DevTools before, it's it's pretty easy to like get installed into your browser. And then whenever you have a Vue application where you have your components, usually in Dev mode, you're able to access that and inspect them. So there's really a couple of aspects of that. There is the inspect kind of functionality where you're able to actually view your components and you're able to view your components, the props and the state. The thing is it's going to show you what your your props, your state, your setup, all everything that's declared within your setup function for view, but it's going to happen for a certain point in time. So if you open up your application, you have the dev tools open and you start to click around, you're going to see that update on the right-hand side. Um, within the browser within the dev tools. but it's a uh, it's really helpful because it, it does let you see, for example, if you're expecting a certain value in your setup to update when you interact with an element and it doesn't, you can see at what when that happens. Uh, the other aspect of it is, of course, the timeline. Which is more around what Vue is doing with your code. So, Inspector, you can kind of think of it as in this given point in time, what is the value of everything in my application? And that can be super helpful if you know where to look <laughs> and you need to essentially see things across different points in time. The nice thing is so, if you record it with the time travel debugger, then you can jump back and forth without having to recreate it every time. But. Right.
0: So that seems like, so that's sort of a replay type of thing in that you can go back in time without having to actually step through your code again and again to see what it's doing, right? It's sort of a recorded thing and then you can just replay it as you wish.
1: Exactly. So you can reproduce the bug once and the, uh, you can like record the bug once and then it's reproducible forever. So what you'll see is if you have a view application open with the inspector in your view dev Tools. As you type, for example, in an input, if you have that connected to a um, like a reactive or a ref in your setup function, you'll see the value in d- DevTools updating like as you type. If you have that set with a like a v-link, or in order to keep those in sync, but if you have had a bug occur and you know what happened initially, you can see that update at each point in time by rewinding it and replaying it. So that that can be really helpful to understand. Like is your state updating as you expect it? Are are is, is the is a prop from a different component actually still showing up in that child component as expected? Are your events being emitted back up? You know your component tree as expected. That's a big one. I have definitely forgotten to emit an event uh, to call the the event handler function, and so that's something that can be really helpful, uh, specifically with the Vue Dev Tools. And then I mentioned the timeline earlier. This is something where it'll show how Vue is actually rendering your application and which components are firing off and which components are being triggered. And that is a little bit more helpful when your application is not behaving in the way that you expected, based on how you're using the framework. Right. So that is a that's something that's a little bit different. I talk about when you click on a button right in your application, it could be the there's so many steps that could take place, like an add to cart button, right? It could be your API request going out. It could be the response body coming back. It could be that it's reading a microservice and that didn't work correctly or it was down at the time. Or it could be that you dispatched to your state wrong and, uh, and not, not so many things that are taking place. But if it's something where all your business logic is correct and it's just you're not sure if you is perhaps handling something in a way that you don't expect, that's where the timeline can come in really handy because it's going to show how everything is is being rendered. And that's also where the component debugging hooks are going to come in handy. So there are two component debugging hooks that I've used. There probably are some more, but there's on render trigger and on render uh, track that you can essentially insert into your code. And then whenever a render is triggered, you can execute um, some kind of like function, a callback function. Typically, you can log the event. That's a good one. You can also just put debugger in there and it'll pause at that point in your execution. So that you can inspect the event, and the an event will actually show you what is causing that trigger to uh, to render, or what is causing that render to trigger, which can be really really helpful if you're not sure why something is triggering. So Vue is the only one I've seen that has like that easily documents, and they're really easy to find these uh, these debugging hooks. And so that was really really powerful when I came uh, had a bug where I have a bunch of cards on a screen. With a little, and you could vote on them, plus and minus. It was uh, kind of, and I would click on the plus button on one card, but all of my cards on the page re-rendered. And don't really want that because I'm only interacting with one card on my page, and I don't need everything to re-render. That can become very perform, like you know, not performant. And I was able to add that hook, and I was able to see the target, and I was able to see what triggered it, and the value of it, and what actual like value in my setup function was causing that to re-render. And I was using a, an array that wasn't deeply nested because I was using a ref instead of a reactive or uh, with Vue 3. <laughs> and so mm-hmm. I was able to figure out what was going on there and, and update it so it was more performant.
0: Yeah, you mentioned in the dev tools putting in the debugger line you know, to automatically stop right there. I've discovered over the past couple of years that sometimes you know, we're still on a slightly older Vue 2 app that uses Webpack. Mm-hmm. And in the past, I've always had good luck where I could open my dev tools and do like command P on the Mac, put in my file name and, you know, open up the file that I wanted. But as with latest four and even five, there've been some serious source map issues where it's not quite so simple anymore, where I'll go to open my dev tools and there's five versions of the same component and some are completely, you know, rendered and some are the original source code. And But the easiest way I figured out how to get the correct one opened in the browser tool so that I can put other breakpoints is just throw a debugger line in there somewhere. And then it'll stop, opens it up, okay, there it is right there. And now I can put in my other breakpoints and and it works. But Webpack has, has, at least in the latest versions, has caused some headaches, <laughs> at yeah. least in in Chrome. I haven't really tried web debugging with Beat yet. I've got an application, an inertia application I'm going to be working on soon. So I'll have a better chance to, to see how it works there. But I'm hoping, knock on wood, that I can still do my browser tools debugging with Beat.
1: Yeah, one of the things that I, I learned along the way is um, in browser tools, basically hiding out the function executions that happen in certain folders. So, you know, it would, it would trigger something in, in a package and I would see all those functions start to pop up and step through those. And I was like, I don't really want to step through those. I just want to step through the code that I wrote because right. my code's probably the one that's wrong. And mm-hmm. so somebody uh, showed me how to disable that. So you can essentially... Take out folders that you don't want to trigger or certain packages in DevTools, and then Replay will actually uh, sh- lets you ship source maps too. So if they're not published publicly, you can ship them to Replay's API, and it'll match them up as well. Debugging minimized code is is a special talent that I personally cannot do. <laughs> Some people on the wow. team can, but I think they're just so used to looking at it. But but yeah, so having those uh, source maps with the real components and um, seeing all of that is, is is a much much smoother process. It's also interesting to see where people like to debug. Like I like to debug in the browser. Mm-hmm. Some people really like to debug in their IDE. So it's kind of like, obviously the tools change depending on what in, like environment or platform that you're using. And so I've become like really like browser dev tools for me because that's going to be this similar, as close to the experience of the user as possible versus the developer experience, which is what's happening in the IDE. So kind of two sides of a, of a coin there, but it's a bit interesting to see.
0: Yeah, I'm the same way. I tend to stick with the browser debugging tools. I know I've done it before. It's been a while. I played around with VS Code and one of their debug configurations where I was actually able to debug in the IDE, which I think is really cool. And maybe I'll try to play with it again at some point. I don't, I think you can do it in PHP Storm, but I haven't really tried. But for the most part, I'm just so familiar with the browser tools anyway and and being able to debug in there that I just stick with that. If it ain't broke, don't fix it, I guess.
1: Yeah. I think, I, I think people who are maybe, come from backend or more used to not having something that's rendered maybe more, more comfortable in the IDE. So I've kind of seen that before too. Uh, we replay has a node recorder which some people have used to debug typescript issues just kind of recording their node execution so that compilation process and you know that doesn't really have anything to look at. it just has the uh, the code execution. so I could see how that could be maybe more comfortable in the IDE.
2: Hey there, this is Charles Maxwood. I'm excited because I wanted to let you know about this thing that I pulled together that I had just, I've been dying to have this for years and I never felt like I could. And then I just realized that there's no reason why I can't. So um, I'm putting together a book club and we're gonna read development-focused books, career books, you know, uh, technical books, whatever. The first book that we're gonna do is going to be Clean Architecture by Uncle Bob Martin. If you're not familiar with Clean Code or some of the other stuff that Bob has done, check that out. I've also talked to him on the Clean Coders podcast, which is on Top End Devs. But uh, yeah, we're going to get on. He's going to show up to some of our meetings. And what I'm thinking is we'll probably have like five or six people uh, part of the conversation along with Bob and I at the same time. And we'll just uh, so somebody can come on, they can ask their question, and then we'll just rotate people through. So we'll we'll mute one person, unmute another person when it's their turn to come on and, and be part of the discussion. So we'll do that for like an hour, hour and a half. And then the other part of it that I'm putting together is just kind of a meet and greet gather area on GatherTown. And so after the the meetup and the call, what we'll do is we'll all go over to Gather Town and you can just log in, walk up to a group and have a conversation. And that way we can all kind of get to know each other and, and make friends, and and get to know people across the world. Uh, One thing that I'm finding is that, yeah, the meetups are starting to come back, but a lot of people don't have the opportunity to go to a meetup, and I really want to meet you guys and talk to you. So we're going to put all that together. It'll all be part of that book club. You can go to topendevs.com slash book club to be part of it, and I'm looking forward to seeing you there. The first book club meeting will be in December, the beginning of December. We're starting the first week of December, and um, you'll also be part of the conversation about which book we do next i have one in mind but i want to see where everybody's at so there you go All right so i don't know if you were going to go down this road but
0: it's some of the things that i don't think people realize you can do with debugging in the browser and you can do this with XDebug. i know you know with php backend. not sure about node is how you can configure even your breakpoints you know usually you'll click on a breakpoint and okay it stops there but you can do things like say okay only hit this breakpoint if a specific value is true at this time, or if if it's coming from a previous breakpoint, or you know something like if this one's been triggered first. So uh, a common example I've done this before is where you're trying to uh, see what is getting passed to your backend in an HTTP call. You know whether it's a fetch or a Axios or whatever, and so you've got some wrapper function, but it gets called. That's it's a common function, so it gets called everywhere, and you don't want it to hit every time it comes into this method. So you can set a previous breakpoint and say okay, if it hits this one, now trigger this breakpoint. So it only triggers the time you need it. And there's all kinds of other configuration options. You usually just have to right-click on it and edit, and then you'll see all kinds of different things that give you more control over when that breakpoint is, is actually hit.
1: Yeah, conditional use of the tools is is really helpful. So there's conditional breakpoints. So within I mentioned earlier within Replay that you can add console logs retroactively. Uh, mm-hmm. You can also do conditional logs. So you can say, like, you know, so for example, if, I had a bug where something was resizing and like uh, the, the width of the object changed over and over and over and over again. But I really only cared once it got close to zero. So I was I was like, you know, if this value is less than four, then log it because I don't really care about all the other times, right? And so that really helps going back to, we're talking about the process of isolation, right? So being able to narrow your focus into just where you think the bug is and being able to kind of get the noise out can be really helpful. And so that's a really good point. The conditional breakpoints, conditional logging. You know, we kind of talked about too, like removing the folders that it tri- that it uses as for the sources of, of stepping through. All that can really help you isolate in.
0: Well, you know, you talk about console logs and, you know, using the, the console tab within your dev tools. I have a great article bookmarked, and I think it's on my other computer, that talks about all the different variations of things you can log in your console. So console log, obviously, is the most commonly used. It says, here, give me this. It says that's point. But you can do things like console trace, I think, which gives you a a stack trace.
1: Console table.
0: Console error, I think, is one. So it highlights an error in red. If you do that, I mean, it's amazing the things you can do just with console logging that that really help you highlight what's actually going on in your browser and in your code,
1: I did see a tweet recently, and this kind of blew my mind. But somebody was like, "I have a bug, and for some reason, adding a console log like fixes it." So they had a I've console had that. log I've there, had that. Were, <laughs> because <laughs> what they were doing is they were logging the output of a function, and it was calling the function, which was resetting the state, and then it, it fixed it. And so, adding the console log. It was, they were like, what is happening? Why is this happening? And um, I followed the thread because I had to, I was just so curious and it had to do with logging. They were logging the output of a function, but in turn, they were actually calling the function and it triggered something in the code that then was like, okay, now it's working. Whenever they removed it, the bug came back. So uh,
0: I think I've seen that before where it did it because calling the console log caused a pause or caused it to slow down just enough that something else could happen. Because you're like, dang, console race log, condition. it works, and no console <laughs> log, and it doesn't. Really? You know, and yeah, so that's sort of a clue, too.
1: Yeah, the race conditions. Yeah, can definitely... Sometimes, like, with Cypress, you know, debugging Cypress issues, automated tests are so fast, right? And so sometimes just waiting a couple seconds would cause it to, to work, you know? Um, so, people kind of we get stuck on that. They'd be like, oh, I'll just add a couple pauses in, or I'll add a couple weights in. And it's like, no, you sh- we should figure out why. Like, well, what's happening in that two seconds? You know? Like, that's, uh, let's dig in a little bit and see. But um, yeah, we run into that kind of, in,
0: uh, in Dusk tests. So, we're using Laravel when you use Dusk, which is a front end testing framework. It's like, it's a Cypress, I think, just built in Laravel. And we try to avoid that too, because one of the available methods in Dusk is pause but what you really want to do is use some of the methods like when available or when this is true or when this is true. So it waits. Okay. Now this is true. Now check and see, because it should be there by then. And we'll go back through our desk. You know, if you do a quick search on pause, you'll see there's about 10 or 20 in there. Well, we should probably get rid of those, (laughs) you know, at some point, but yeah, just throwing a pause in there, I, I think can actually be masking, either masking or it's just sort of confusing. You know, as to what are you waiting for? Where if you use a "when available" or "when this is true" or "or wait for" something like that, then it's a little more clear as to what you're looking for in your test.
1: Yeah, makes it more deterministic. Um, it also makes it easier to understand for the next person too, because then they they know, oh, okay, it's because we need the API call to come back, or it's because we're waiting for the data to actually like render on the page, and before we assert that it's there. And uh, yeah, we kind of call that the Heisen bug. At replay is basically where the bug changes just because you've observed it. Right. <laughs> <Or> observe, <laughs> the quantum the theory changes, of debugging.
0: The
1: yeah, exactly. It changes <laughs> the nature of it, and so we've had things that you know only reproduce under very specific conditions, and you don't know what they are. And they always say like, you know, if the bug doesn't, if you can't reproduce it, it doesn't exist, right? It's kind of right. Yeah. The, uh, <laughs> um, the old adage: uh, a lot of closed GitHub issues because there's no reproduction and. <laughs> mm-hmm. Things like that. So that was something that we've we've seen every once in a while, those goofy goofy bugs that just defy the laws of of, of physics somehow. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. So we've got dev tools. We talked about, you know, your console logging, you've got your breakpoints, you you got your stack trace. Did we cover everything the dev tools can do? I know that with the latest version, I don't think I've used all of them, but I use I know which one, I use the Vuex and the components. I know one of the yeah. things I like to do with the Vue Tools, and I, I think you mentioned this, is in the components, you can, you can go through the hierarchy of all your different components that are on your page. I know in our app, I was just, before I came in, I was trying to resolve an issue that had, kind of have 15, 20 layers of components, and some are using slots and some are not, and, and so on. But the nice thing is you can filter and say, okay, find this component, okay, it finds it for you. And then when you click on it, you can see, okay, at, in the loaded state, here's all the data that it has, whether it's a prop that's been passed in, whether it's defined in the data object, uh, whether it's uh, coming from VueX or some sort of state management, what's there, and then you can see, oh, well, no wonder I'm getting this error because you're trying to read something on undefined. Well, it's undefined because this isn't here, you know, type of thing. So so in addition to time traveling, just seeing what's there can sort of give you a, a starting point to say, uh, to say, okay, if it's not here at this point, then something up the stream is, is not doing its job or data's not getting passed down like it should be or something like that.
1: Yeah, and speaking of, of that aspect of it with Vuex, something I didn't know until until more recently this year is that uh, Redux DevTools, which is used to debug Redux and it has a time travel capability where it'll show you a timeline of all the dispatches, also works with NGRX and Vuex. So anything that kind of has the same format as Redux, you can use Redux DevTools. So you can actually use Redux DevTools on UX as well to see a timeline of all of your dispatches and a diff in the state every time one occurs. So that's something that you can add if you want some additional kind of debugging functionality specifically for your state, which can be really helpful.
0: So does the the Redux, I mean, I'm not sure if it's heresy to consider mixing React tools with Vue,
1: but
0: but does the React dev tools from a Vuex standpoint probably provide some functionality or features that the Vue Dev Tools don't.
1: So this is spe- so there's React Dev Tools. But this is specifically Redux Dev Tools. Okay, Redux. And so dev yeah, so it's just it's it's a separate tool and it's really just handles that the all like the different the just actions actions like the effects and the when you're in that kind of oh I, the, is it Flux? There's like a certain pattern of uh, that style of uh, of state machine essentially. Mm-hmm. And it's just designed really for debugging that. And it shows you the timeline and it shows you a diff chart. And it kind of creates like some nice different graphical views to show you um, how your state is dipping across time um, for at each step. So if you have a very complex state machine, I'm sure it becomes a lot more useful. I, most of the things that I've worked with in in Vuex haven't been that complex. It's more just kind of pretty straightforward. But I have seen some pretty cool things done with it before, so it may be worthwhile if you are de- working with like a really complex state state bug. So, mm-hmm.
0: so any other tools, methods, or anything that we're missing that you use for debugging? Um, maybe some fringe stuff.
1: Yeah. So, kind of a more fringe thing, as I mentioned too, is earlier is like what happens if something is wrong with like it goes wrong with the in in within the framework itself, right? So, ah, yes. not just how we're using the framework, but a bug in Vue or a bug in in TypeScript or in React. And so one of the things that I discovered is that when you record and replay in the browser, it records everything that happens in the browser, including if you're in dev mode, right? Including the render process of all the functions that are being called by Vue, by the framework. So you can go in and you can see, for example, create HTML element is a method within Vue. And you can see it being called every single time, rendering these HTML, creating these HTML elements that are being rendered to the DOM. Um, And so if you have a suspicion or you don't understand necessarily how something is happening under the hood even further, you can actually record and then debug the view code itself. Really, the only other way I know to do that would be to go into like the node modules, like, you know, view package and try to add breakpoints or logs there. So that becomes really like more hand like a handy way to do it. And somebody, his name is his name is uh, his name is uh He's Andrus, right on Twitter, but he found a bug with in, inside of TypeScript using uh, Replay Node. So he noticed it was with a a union type, a generic. It was yeah something where he recorded it and he and they were able to. Again, you're recording the actual TypeScript execution of TypeScript compiling, you know, down to um, the JavaScript and they were to find that there was a certain method that was being called, but only for method and named functions, but not for arrow functions or some, some kind of combination of that where two out of the three different function types were accounted for, but not the third. And mm-hmm. so that was causing an inconsistent um, result for the typing. And again, the only other way to do that would be to go to dig into the TypeScript code and start to like try and add logs or breakpoints there. And so if you need to dig even deeper into those layers, that can be a way to do it is recording the actual execution and uh, with something like replay or a, a different time travel debugger.
0: Now, have you you talked about going into you know your library code, your NPM code, NPM code? Have you ever used NPM link?
1: I haven't. No.
0: So I found this out when I was working on developing a library, a Vue wrapper for a platform called uh, Form.io that I had done some work for in the past. And they have a generic, uh, it's all, their platform is all about forms and and APIs and using a JavaScript definition to render forms in the browser. And then they have wrappers around that for like Angular and React. And I was working on one for Vue. And so, you know, I have an application, but I want to be writing it as, a library, you know, in an NPM module. And so what you can do, and this I found this was really cool because trying to debug it was compiled library or, you know, installed library through NPM was a nightmares. What you do is you if you look this up in the NPM documentation, it tells you how to do it. But you download the library, you know, to a separate location on your on your hard drive, wherever that may be, and you do, I forget what the commands are, but you do you go to the directory where your library is and do NPM link. And then you go to your parent app that's using that, and there's another command that you run. And basically what it does is create some symlinks for you through Node, mod- not through Node modules. I forget what it is, and I'll find the documentation and put it in the, in the show notes. But the, the, the long and the short of it is that basically you have your NPM installed library separately that you can debug exactly the same way as if you're debugging your front-end code. So you're dealing with source and not uh, minimized code or, or compiled yeah. code. So it's an awesome tool for when you're installing a library, even debugging one. I can think of one that wasn't working and I used NPM link to go through and say, oh, okay, that's what it is. But that's a, an awesome tool for, for debugging NPM, what would normally be
1: NPM installed code. Oh, nice. Yeah, I'll have to definitely check that out. That sounds great.
0: Yeah, very useful. I tend to get nervous if I can't debug and step through code or look, at it. you know, I'll use the the console log or, you know, Laravel I mentioned uses DD or DDD, you know, is dump and die to dump things out. I've started working with Astro lately. Uh, I talked to Fred Schott from Astro uh, not too long ago, which is a, you know, it's a framework for your static site with sprinkles of JavaScript and IELTS type approach, which is all the rage these days as the pendulum swings back and forth. And they use, it's interesting how you can use, uh, you've got your node code up in the top part using that front matter and then you've got your templates. And so since that's all running in node, I haven't set up a node debugger. So it's been sort of frustrating that I can't step through some of the stuff, but they have tools, they have a, a built-in debug component, which is pretty cool. And so you just, it's it works just like a view component, you know, you import it in and make it available just like you would anything else. And then in the template portion of your component, you put, a, you know, your brackets like a debug element. And then in curly braces, you put what is it in your data that you're getting that you want to see? And then it just dumps it out on your screen, you know, in JSON format or, or whatever the format is. So that's, that in console log is, is the best way that i've uh, been able to debug in astro and it worked it's not quite as nice as step debugging but it works and you know gets done but it's nice when when the tools the framework uh, have built-in debugging components for you that allow you to dump and, and easily see see stuff for sure
1: yeah that's kind of it's interesting when i ran into an issue with with next js which is a react meta framework so they have some functionality where you can kind of like get server side props, um, and it grabs it before the page, but you know, before actually like rendering in the client. And I was having an issue with that, with, with that process, but because it was happening in servers, like within next is like server side, mm-hmm. it wasn't happening in the browser. So I couldn't use like replay to debug it. I had to go into the actual like server code and start to like add logs there and do it in my terminal, um, and so it's nice when if a framework does kind of abstract some stuff away, when it gives you tools to like get some of that functionality back. So, as a check, did uh, you mentioned Fred shot? Did he Astro? Was there another project that he worked on before? Then it was like a package, underwear, or something like that. It's on.
0: Uh, I think I saw yes, kind of a talk
1: I, like a few years can't ago remember. about it.
0: Yeah, he mentioned in the interview where he'd come from his history. I'd have to go back and find that, but I cannot remember where he came from.
1: Yeah, no worries. I just I was curious if it was the same person. I think I remember seeing him give a talk um, a couple of years ago about something like that. But I, I've heard I've heard I've heard of Astro. I haven't tried it out yet though, but I, I hear good things. So
0: yeah, it's really neat. I had him on. So for those who are wondering, it's Views on View episode 195 from September. So last month as of the recording today. Oh uh, yeah, it was great. So Astro's uh, you know, we've talked about. It. I had him on just because we've talked about it so many times on here before just to give a high level overview. And no, I'm not on their payroll and I'm not a DevRel for the pastor. <laughs> I just I just happen to like it and, and actually use it. The idea is as it's a static site renderer, but with everything coming server-side rendering, but then what you can do is you can plug in the component of the framework of your choice in your page as sort of an island of functionality uh, if you want. So you could add a React component or a Vue component or a Svelte component or an Angular component. Um, so you're getting all the benefits and speed of having everything server-side render, but then just adding in the JavaScript as compared to downloading a whole view JavaScript framework or framework du jour you know, into your browser. So that's the whole idea behind Astro. Mm-hmm. And they, I know that as of when I spoke to him, one of the, the other features, and they've mentioned this in uh, their documentation, is that they can also have it be dynamic. They had some capability where you can be dynamic and run some code, so that every time you go to a page, it's actually pulling code from the back end. But uh, unlike, say, Nuxt mm-hmm. or some of the other frameworks, currently it's an all-or-nothing. You know, you can't have some site statically, pages static or rendered, and some sites dynamic. It's all or nothing. So I'm assuming they're going to add that functionality later. I believe so. But anyway, that's Astro and and uh, what it does.
1: Yeah, no, I've been, I um I've u- I like Nuxt a lot. I've used that for a couple of different. Different things with the, with the universal rendering. Actually, there's a Next Ionic component or uh, module to be able oh. to create Next apps um, for mobile. giving talking about that, a Next Nation, but it's um, it's really interesting. Like, I feel like there's been so many advancements and kind of innovations with how things are rendered in terms of like incremental. We're seeing like React server components. There's um, universal rendering. Uh, so yeah, Astro sounds like it's right along line with.
0: Uh, was doing some cool stuff there. So I'll have to check that out. Yeah. In the past. Um, so I've had Daniel Rowe from the core team on mm-hmm. a couple of times to talk, talk about next three, along with a guy named Drew Baker, who uh, Drew works for an agency called Funk House in the LA area. And we talked all about upcoming stuff. And And I haven't, I've used next some in the past next 2 haven't done next three, except for the very basic stuff I did for my View mastery course on the introduction to to Next 3 but that was about as basic as you can get. And I'm listening to these guys talk about all the things you can do on the server, and it, it blew my mind. I was, you know, said, you guys talk, sounds great. Uh, yeah, sounds good, <laughs> you know. So I haven't even gotten to that level of complexity of what I would do with with Next for sure. I tend to be, you know, coming from the PHP background, I tend to like to use that as my uh, uh, framework or language of choice. And now you have uh, last was it last week? Uh, a couple weeks ago, I got to interview uh, Taylor Otwell, the creator of Laravel, and how they have integrated Vue and, in particular, Inertia JS. If you've heard of Inertia JS, uh, so you can use Laravel in the background and Vue on the front end, and, and Inertia just hijacks the post request and passes everything back and forth for you really quick. And oh, wow. so that's my my sort of framework of choice just because of comfort and, and knowledge and able ability to use it. But yeah, Nuxt yeah, gives yeah. you the stuff I'm seeing with Next 3 is just crazy in terms of the flexibility and and sort of micro control you have over certain routes and certain pages and how you want to render them and when you want to render them and and so on.
1: Yeah, there's the defined page meta. There's a lot of just like built in kind of like page utilities that I, I again, I wish I had something like, more exciting or, like, more complex to build, like, to try it out with because I think I've just scratched the surface with kind of playing with it and then playing with Next Ionic as well. So, uh, super interesting. Um, but, yeah, with, uh, PHP, uh, my only experience with that was digging into WordPress, like, uh-huh. uh, themes and manually editing a few lines here and there right. because right. <laughs> the theme didn't give me, an o- like, an option in the UI, so I had to uh, um, go in. I started, I was, was making, like, you know, WordPress sites when I was in college and things like that. So that was kind of my first, uh, my first web development <laughs> type uh-huh. type stuff was uh, plumbing, plumbing in, in PHP, WordPress, but that was about it. So, yeah, I um, can
0: date my, I can date myself in that I started working doing websites initially just straight HTML. There's a, a book, uh, HTML goodies, and the guy had JavaScript goodies too. And I, I don't remember his name, but he basically said, I'm going to dig in and figure out how this works and then write about it. And that was how I learned about it. And then uh, I can remember when PHP was personal home pages, you know, that's, that's where PHP comes mm-hmm. from. that was an acronym by a guy named Rasmus Laredor. And then it took off and, and became fully, but I was dealing, doing my first website stuff I ever did outside of that was front page 98. Uh, mm-hmm. if you've ever seen Microsoft front page, the first iterations, you know, it was like, you could look at one site right away and said, that's front page <laughs> just because <laughs> of the really horrible graphics and images. But yeah. And then, you know, I got tired of back in and said, Hey, front is more fun because I can see what I'm doing. You know, I can see what I'm changing. I can make things dynamic. I can can add better functionality and and do it easier. So anyway, that's
1: yeah, enough that's of my what, story. Back, yeah, back. When I so my undergrad, I did journalism. I, my first career was I was a newspaper reporter, mm-hmm. and at that point, you learned how to make websites because it was like the and it was just the web version of the print. It was literally like just recreate right. the print. I, I would also do pagination for the print. And they were like, okay, just just recreate it. And so they would teach you as a journalism major how to make these like static, very static websites, you know, just to um, be able to publish to the web. And um, that's kind of how I first got into it. And it's changed so much, you know. Like, I mean, obviously, like web apps are a whole different level now. But back then, it was kind of just a, oh yeah, we're just we're just taking the content, we're publishing it, like make it all line up good the same way that you do in or you know whatever um, in Adobe InDesign or whatever it is that you would use for print and uh, that that was kind of my first exposure to it and it's uh, it's a really like you know like, kind of just like a, like a page. It's literally was like a page. Now everything is single page apps right where <laughs> you have uh, so much going on but it was it's kind of fun to go back and think about um, how it was at that, at, at that point. so
0: So were you basically just editing raw HTML files and pushing them to a server yep. with an FTP client?
1: Type thing fdp exactly yep and then um they trying to make it and actually talking about debugging css oof, is like there's no <laughs> error messages there's no like there's nothing to tell you what's wrong you that like you talk, that was my first experience with trial and error debugging was uh <laughs> with css and just moving things around and um i'd always go and try to read more about it and so but yeah at least like well, there, now you have some different tools and things in your IDE, but that was the original. There's no error message. There's no indication of what could possibly be wrong. It just doesn't work <laughs> the way that you expect.
0: Well, here, i see if you remember this. Do you remember what there was, what the first browser dev tool was before they were built into the browsers?
1: Oh, no. No, you got me there.
0: It was a Firefox extension called Firebug. And so, oh my gosh,
1: I should have known that because the replay yeah. people probably have talked about that, right. and talked about
0: it. Yeah, so I was living in the Drupal world at the time, and I can I can still remember when Firebug first came out, and I was like, oh my gosh, I can see my source code, I can see this, I can see my CSS, and you can play around and then hover over things and add borders, and then there's dev tools you can get in the browser, you could, you know, add a border to an element or do this, just a whole ton of stuff. Mm-hmm. But you know, it's sort of like jQuery is to JavaScript, and that Firebug. It's like, "Oh, this is so cool! We got to build this into the browser." And so now, now you have you know dev tools in any browser. So being able yeah, to that... uh,
1: to change change the CSS or toggle mm-hmm. the CSS in dev tools and then see the page change uh, yeah. that was that was a game that was a game changer for me because you know it wasn't trial and error or republishing. I could actually like change the values and you can export it and you can save it and so. Yeah, it's come a long way, <laughs> for sure. Oh, yeah,
0: absolutely. With some of the layout tools and grid and Flexbox, and you know, that's a whole different discussion, yeah. for sure. So, all right, well, we need to start getting wrapped up here. Uh, before we move on to PICs, is there uh, any uh, any other tool or overall process you want to talk about?
1: Um, well We covered a lot. Um, no, I we think, did. you know, just, yeah, to kind of reiterate, I think it's, don't be like a, fr- I, I was always afraid of debugging to the point where I would just like, Avoid it or like ask somebody else for help, or it didn't, or just kind of dread it a lot. And so I've been able to change that and become more excited about when I co- uncover a bug, and you feel more like a, it's an opportunity to learn. And you just get that through practice. And so for me, going into open source projects and looking at issues and trying to figure out what I could debug, I ended up finding a bug in Excalibur and I was able to figure it out. Um, stuff like that just helps you kind of get practice with the different tools and the different processes. So I'd encourage you to maybe go, to go do some bug hunting and just kind of have fun with it.
0: Right on. All righty. Well, thank you for coming to talk about debugging. It is a deep passion of mine, for sure, being able to debug stuff. So that's uh, learned about some
2: great tools. Great tools. Have you ever wished that you had a group of people that were just as passionate about writing code as you are? I know I did. I did that for most of my career. I'd go to the meetups. I'd try and create other opportunities. And it was just really hard, right? The meetups, I got some of that, but they were only like once or twice a month. And it was just really hard to find that group of people that I connected with and, and really wanted to you know talk about code a lot, right? I mean, I love writing code. I think it's the best. And so I've decided to create this community and create it a, a worldwide community that we can all jump in and do it. So we're gonna have... Two workshops every week, one of those or two of those every month are going to be Q&A calls, right, where you can get on, you can ask me or me and another expert questions. Uh, the rest of them are going to be focused on different aspects of career or programming or things like that, right? So it'll go anywhere from like deployments and containers all the way up to managing your 401k and negotiating your benefits package. Well, we'll cover all of it, Okay. And then we're also going to have meetups every month for your particular technology area. So we have shows about JavaScript, React, Angular View, and so on. We're going to have meetups for all of those things. I'm going to revive the freelancer show. We'll have one about that, right? So you can get started freelancing or continue freelancing if that's where you're at. And I'm working on finding authors who can actually do weekly video tutorials on something for 10 minutes. that's related, again, to those technology areas so that you can stay current, keep growing. So if you're interested, go to topenddevs.com/slash sign up, and you can get in right now for thirty nine dollars. When we're done, that price is going to go up to seventy five dollars. And the thirty nine dollar price gets you access to two calls per week. the The full price at one hundred and fifty dollars, which is going to be seventy five dollars over the next few weeks, that price is going to get you access to all of the calls and all of the tutorials and everything else that we put out from Top End Devs, along with member pricing for our remote conferences that are coming up next year. So go check it out, topendevs.com slash sign up. So with that, we'll move on to picks. Picks are part of the show where we get to talk about anything
0: we want to, within reason, of course. May or may not be tech-related. Anything, I will go first, and I will do the dad jokes of the week. I think I need to get a theme song for that, the dad jokes of the week. First of all, so, you know, I live in a neighborhood like most people do. And I really liked a lot of my neighbors. And there was one particular one. I thought they were really great people until they put a password on their Wi-Fi. It's like, really? Fun fact. Did you know, you know, a lot of people wear T-shirts. And did you know that the word T-shirt itself is actually short for Tyrannosaurus shirt? It's because of the shorter arms. Right? So I have a little, you know, I do, I like the do crossfit and one of the things we do uh, a lot is burpees you know we drop down to the ground and so on and my daughter gave me a sticker that i have in my water bottle that says t-rex hates burpees you know because he's got the short arms and, <laughs> and can't get down <laughs> and then finally i was having a conversation with my uh, son the other day and he asked me he said dad how do you cast spells i said well you just follow the instructions he goes which instructions i said yep those ones <laughs>
1: That was very timely for Halloween.
0: Yes. Yes. I like the <laughs> Halloween jokes are good for sure. So anyway, those are my picks. What do you have
1: for us to hear? Yeah. So this is kind of like a, it's actually an app, but it's something I've been using. It's called centered, centered app. Uh, I have a couple, I actually have met some people who work on it, but it is a kind of like task management, time tracking, like focus kind of app. It's free, uh, it's centered.app and I found it super helpful for kind of just, um, organizing my day and they have rooms that you can go into and kind of work together on different projects and stuff and uh, so I've been in, in using that and another thing that I got recently that I'm really excited about is this giant rainbow corgi you can't see it but it is I love rubber ducks so right I, I like to debug I have my desk is covered with toys I have actually a pterodactyl duck for your dinosaur joke there um so i love to collect different types of rubber ducks and there is one that is a rainbow corgi duck um and it's a uh, jason langsor from learn with jason um made them and i'm obsessed with it because i also love corgis and so uh that would be my my other pick is if you are looking to add to your rubber duck toy collection uh there's a uh, rainbow corgi ducks now available so
0: <laughs> yes jason actually lives very close to me here in the portland area never actually met him in person but we've talked and He's very close to me, but you just brought up an interesting point that we missed talking about when it comes to debugging and that's rubber ducking.
1: So oh can you
0: explain what the term means? I can, I yes. can tell you whatever about where it comes from, but just the general term, cause I use it a lot.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, I can't believe I, I can't believe we missed that. But uh, yes, yeah, so rubber ducking is essentially the idea where you explain or talk out your problem and talk through it to a rubber duck or any kind of really like inanimate object. But the idea is to get you talking out loud and put your thoughts into words in order to um, articulate what it is you're trying to solve and hopefully get to a solution uh, sooner by being able to organize your thoughts.
0: Yeah, I mean, it doesn't have to be to an inanimate object. It can be to a person I can think of times where I've been talking to a coworker (laughs) or a boss and I'm, hey, I need help with this. Well, what's the problem? You start explaining it as you're explaining it. You sort of figure it out and I'll say, "Okay, sorry, I'm rubber ducking right now. (laughs) <laughs> you know or you're my rubber duck and they're like yeah hey, great no problem that's true you I know. think
1: it, it's more fun if it's a cute little rubber duck though maybe <laughs>
0: is it yeah, I I'll have to, I just didn't... I'll have I'll have to get some rubber ducks some actual rubber ducks I have the no button on my desk I think I'll have to go buy a rainbow corgi rubber duck or something like that yeah
1: I will little baby one maybe it's just my excuse to get toys honestly we... <laughs> but uh... for sure
0: Alrighty. So with that we will wrap it up. Thank you very much to see for coming on and talking about debugging. It's been a pleasure. I know I've learned some things and hopefully people listening have learned some things.
1: Yeah, thanks so much for having me.
0: All right. With that,
2: goodbye, and we will talk next time on News On View. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.